Welcome to the daily objective. Today, we're going to talk about game theory and specifically how it uh, how people apply it in economics and if it's a good idea or not. Uh, to discuss this with me is Alejandro. Alejandro, how are you doing? Fine, thank you, Daniel. How are you? I'm pretty good. Okay, can you give our viewers a basic introduction to what game theory is? Certainly. Like, first of all, it's a mathematical theory uh, that is developed or was developed pretty much on the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and still today, but the, the real hype for the theory was in the 50s and 60s. And the whole idea is uh, how can we mathematically think about games? And when, I, when we talk about games is Monopoly, tic-tac-toe, chess, what are the best ways in which one can strategize in how to and, and, and win this kind of games? Uh, some games are pretty much very simple, like tic-tac-toe, and they have been solved. And other games are more complex, such as chess. Now, in economics, this is typically uh, taught in an advanced course of microeconomics. And there is a very specific reason why it's taught in, uh, at that time. And it is because uh, during advanced micro, you will see the modern version of the what the invisible hand is for neoclassical economics. There's a very famous theorem, which is the Arrow de Bro uh, theorem, which basically says uh, that every competitive equilibrium is Pareto optimal. What does that mean? Basically that the free market, when it's let, it's let free, it achieves a result such that everyone in that uh, economy is the best of. Uh, if you try to change something, then you will have some someone losing or being worse off. Now, in game theory and very specifically with uh the nash equilibrium and remember if anyone has seen the the movie beautiful mind it's about john nash the, the one who developed this theory and the one who developed this conclusion in uh the nash equilibrium uh you will have some results or some equilibriums where you can have different uh types of actions of people uh, which are which makes people better off, uh, but at the same time, if everyone uh, tries to achieve their own um, selfish personal interest, then the result will be worse off. Yeah. I will maybe, develop more of that further. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, maybe just to concretize it a little bit, and we can do it from the movie. The example they used is there were uh, I think five guys at the bar uh, looking at this. A uh, couple of beautiful ladies, but one was much more beautiful than the other ones. And they're yeah. like, "Okay, we are all gonna try to get this one." And uh, one of them, the Matt, the Nash, is yeah. wait, no, uh, Adam Smith was wrong. If we all pursue our selfish interest, the society at all will not benefit. Uh, if we all, so if they all go for the one, uh, no. Uh, neither uh, none of them will get them and the, the other one the other girls will feel okay i don't want to be a second choice and they won't go with them either if instead they all go for each uh woman or 
every guy for goes for for a different moment, then all of them can benefit. And that was like the example of why Adam Smith's uh, everyone pursues their selfish interest benefits society doesn't imply and uh, people benefiting or like trying to pursue their own and the group's interest. Uh, exactly. And yeah. and in that sense, it's violate. And it, the movie is very explicit about this. They say, oh, Adam Smith is wrong or wrong in this particular case, uh, as people would say, teaching uh, game theory. And the, the there is a better outcome as long as we frame the game and our strategy in a different way, not just ourselves trying to uh, uh, seek out what we want without thinking what others want as well. And I think related to this, I was wondering if I could uh, share my screen uh, just to sh show you probably what is the most uh, famous uh, the, the most famous game theory uh, game that has been devised. Can you see? Can you see yeah, my yeah. screen? So basically, uh, this is what is called the prisoner's dilemma. You have two people uh, are caught during a crime. Let's say the two people kill the man, and the police has enough evidence to convict them for one year. But they want to be really. Uh, they want to make an example of this case. And they say to one to the prisoners who are held apart in each room, and they they cannot communicate with each other. They they tell them, you know, uh, we have enough evidence to convict you for one year, but if you confess, you won't go to jail, and your partner will get ten years in jail. And if both of you confess, however, you will have two years in jail. Now, what shall you do? And if you if you see this, uh, this is, uh, I will talk a bit more about this later, but if this is a way that it's usually and typically framed. Um, there's one prisoner with uh, two types of action and the other prisoner with the other types of actions. And for instance, let's take a look at what how prisoner B would look uh, at, at the case. If he confesses, uh, if prisoner A would decide to confess, then what is the best decision that prisoner B could take? Well, it would be confess because he would only be taking two years. Well, if he didn't confess, he would take him 10 years in jail. So even if the other partner would confess, then his best outcome would be confessing as well. And what would happen if the prisoner A did not confess? How would prisoner B be better off? Well. Uh, confessing as well, because instead of getting one year, he would get zero years in Yale. And that could be observed as well uh, in with, with the choices of prisoner A. Now, in turn, you will see that the equilibrium, the point where the, the, the final outcome that you will get, according to Nash, is that uh, both prisoners will confess. Now, if you see this as an economist, you will notice that actually the better outcome would have been that both uh, prisoners wouldn't confess. That would be the optimal point. However, because of the framing of this of this uh, game or of this situation, at the end they decide to confess both both of them, uh, which is quite the struggle and what 
and uh, partially what Nash is trying to say in that movie. So if I can just uh, talk about something uh, yeah. right now, uh, I, I heard about this prisoner's dilemma a long time ago. I, I can't remember when, but the first time I, I think I was already familiar. I, maybe I haven't even been familiar with objectivism, but when I looked at it, I was like, there's something wrong here. I, I don't know exactly what it is. It, it's either maybe this, you know, Ayn Rand, uh, in her book, uh, The Virtue of Self Selfishness, talks about the, the ethics of emergencies. And it seemed a little bit like that. Like you're, you're trying to base a theory of like crazy, like lifeboat situations, or, you know, you're going to jail, do you co confess or not? Uh, what do you think about this? The, am I on the right track? I, I would agree. Uh, I think that there is some extent in which this is the problem is in the framing of the of the issue like for instance here you're talking about two criminals i mean you you can make it uh, a different game or a different situation where you don't involve negative or behavior of people um, and actually it can be about the game a tennis game uh, but i think the crucial thing here is that yes there are places and situations where there is a zero sum, uh, but as such, uh, I think the the overall issue is that you don't uh, need that every situation in life has to be optimal and better for everyone of you. And I think if you want to take a look at um, if things are moral or uh, optimally to one extent you shouldn't be seeing at just one situation or anything else you, you you should be asking yourself like why am i in that situation why am i playing this prisoner's dilemma is it a game is it for enjoyment is it just because and in that sense you, you can say that a rational person wouldn't uh set itself to, in in a position like this if it was it, if it wasn't that he's seeing the overall extent of this situation so we already talked about uh how it violates the invisible hand would you like to add something on it uh maybe explain it further no i, I think uh i want to talk further about how this uh theory is compatible with objectivism later and i will talk about the relationship between objectivism and the invisible hand or at least my interpretation of mm -hmm. that but i think we we could move on to to the positive versus normative issue. Uh, so yeah, I have or it. any question. Yeah. yeah, can you can you try to explain it? Because uh, uh, I read up on it a, a little bit, but uh, yeah, what is the positive versus normative theory? Or what do you think? Yes. So this is a common theme, probably in all humanities, but especially in economics, there's a lot of bogus about this and. The whole notion is one is a positive realm which tries to explain how people behave, what they do, what they want, whatever is given and whatever you can study as a scientist, it's a positive. And the normative is when the realm of ethics comes from, like how should people behave? What is the best um, uh, strategies to achieve this kind of stuff? Uh, what, what are values? what's are good outcomes, everything like that has to do with the normative. Now, 
game theory as such in the way that it's framed by mathematics is normative theory. It tells you how to behave upon certain circumstances to achieve a certain goal. You, do you want to win tic-tac-toe? You should start crossing upwards and to the right. I, I don't know, tic-tac-toe, just an example, but uh, do you want uh, never to lose in tic-tac-toe? You should start at the center or something like that. Um, however, in economics, it's, it's often the case that it's treated as a positive theory. And what that means is that they try to explain human behavior from game theory. They say, oh, uh, people will stop thinking because uh, thinking is not uh, a good good idea. It's uh, energy expenditure. And therefore, uh, because game theory tells you so, uh, that there is no no reason to, to think in certain circumstances. I think... Yeah, the, the one way I saw uh, the prisoner's dilemma or the game theory used, let's say, in economics, and you could say even from our perspective in a positive sense, is the, the tragedy of the commons. Mm -hmm. If uh, if all property is uh, commonly held, then uh, it's in everyone's, well, your own selfish interest means you should just consume it because someone else will consume it. Uh, mm -hmm. But it says in the more collective or like a group well-being you should try to like preserve it or uh you know develop it or whatever if it's like a field you want to develop it you don't want to consume all your seeds indeed yes and um one of the actually it's compatible one of the solutions that it has been given and i think it's compatible with game theory is the the Ronald Coase's uh, solution which is basically make people internalize the the effect or the negative effect of the tragedy of the commons and then people will try to take into account that and the problem will sort it out which is more or less the the idea of assigning property rights to to that issue um now there's another there, there are two other uh things that i think are wrong with the positive theory and that is that there are multiple ways in which you can see uh, equilibriums in game theory. We were talking about the Nash equilibrium, but there are countless equilibriums, and you, you will be able to see uh, a myriad amount of uh, examples of equilibriums, and each one of them is good and, and oh, it's bad enough, but and it's designed to sort out or solve the problems which the previous equilibrium hadn't been able to to solve like um with the behavioral economists try to uh see if indeed this kind of uh worlds or uh, games that are framed really have something to say about the world that they can predict and um what they have um in average um resolved is that they are not very good at predicting reality and that there are some uh, special cases where they cannot. So what happens instead of, uh, of economics uh, saying, you know, let's um, not try to go with uh, game theory anymore. They say, oh, let's make it more complex and add pr uh, probability and so on. And at the end, what you have is uh, really complex uh, models that are applicable to very specific circumstances and which don't constitute a theory anymore. 
Yeah, that's why game theory usually applies to games because games have a certain amount of rules, certain amount of possibilities, even something as complex as checks can technically be solved. Uh, I have a friend who's really into chess and he said they, they I, I don't remember the exact number, but they like solved the game with with like maybe six figures or something, which means okay. uh, if, if you start with like just the six figures instead of, of the whole row, which you usually do, they set what is the best movement in all in all the cases what is the best movement and all uh and i think they even said that the the white has advantage like there's a certain percentage of advantage or something like that or even like you said tic-tac-toe that's really easy to solve by the way you don't want to start at the center if both <laughs> players play real or like if both players play decent if you start in the center you will always die if you start in the one of the corners you have a little bit better chance for them to make a mistake and you can win well actually that proves my point because uh i think one, one my essential criticism to the idea of um um game theory being being a positive theory is that uh i think they assume or the implicit concept behind this is that there is determinism in in that that people will be able to sort out these games and that they know what the better strategy is and maybe they won't get it well the first time but maybe the second third uh 30 times afterwards they will be able to sort out, out the game and they will be uh, playing at their best and that is completely false i mean i didn't know i, I played tic-tac-toe all my life and i don't know which are the better strategies to play with and uh, I think the best example of this is uh, mechanism design, which is basically how to frame uh, a game, how to set up a game so that you can get the best results. And one of the things that happens there is auction theory, what, how to frame an auction so that you can get the better price. And the, result, the results that you get are actually integrands uh, and differentials, and they assume that you are calculating that in your mind with perfect probability in your mind, which is completely crazy. Uh, okay, so we only have about five, six minutes left. So let's move on yeah. to the, if it's uh, compatible with objectivism. Because yeah, in th like they often present the, the, like the wrong side, like the confessing always, it's like the selfish, this is like your own self-interest. But even in, in, in like, in, in the case of the prisoner's dilemma, I feel like even an, op like, like a, actual rational objectivist even if he like well it also implies that you're over the criminal so it's already uh putting you in a bad position but uh yeah what do you think about the uh, game theory and its relation to objectivism well i would say that as such they apply to different realms mm -hmm. one is philosophy the other is mathematics so I, I in principle i don't think that there are uh incompatibilities between each other uh, as, as as theories. Um, now, this is my interpretation. I'm not speaking about objectivism. But uh, I certainly think that you can hold both of the theories in a proper way, and they won't be antagonistic to each other. Now, um, I think that if you apply the determinism premise, then there would be a, a, a conflict in, indeed. 
So what about the relation? I know uh, ob objectivists or capitalists don't usually talk about the invisible hand, uh, but in the, uh, you know, maybe relating to that, do you think there is a conflict? Uh, you mean if if game theory proves that the invisible hand is worthless? Uh, I think it proves that it's not an overwhelming concept, and I and I do think that uh, not all not always the free market will get you the best of possible worlds. Uh, but it certainly will give you all the freedom that you have to achieve that world. Um, and in that sense, I think, in many senses, neoclassical economics, which is what like mainstream theory of, of economics, I think it, in that sense is wrong. Uh, but yeah, in, and in that sense, it's one of the few examples where you can find uh, categorically proven that there is some, there, there could be some issues uh, about that. But I, I don't think as such, the invisible hand is the justification of capitalism as as uh, we know. And I, I don't know if you want to add something to add, Daniel. Uh, yeah, uh, just a little bit. Yeah, I always, uh, I always base my defense of capitalism on ethical grounds. I never try to really base it that much on like the practical. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, that it's clear that it's more practical. I mean, everyone's seen the North Korea, South Korea on the on satellite with all the lights, or West and East Germany. Uh, but yeah, there might be cases. I, I heard of uh, cases when like privatizations really were bad. I, I think in uh, I think it was Germany when they tried to privatize roads, but they like did it in a wrong way, so it, it failed and something like that. So you always you you should never put too much stake on uh you know privatization and capitalism it's always going to be more productive sometimes it might it might fail for a little bit until you know it, the internal works get fixed and it can get the long-term uh effects of uh capitalism but you always have to re remember the reason why we want capitalism is because it's moral that's why we you know advocate for it Starts with ethics, or you know, starts metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, and then politics. You don't start with politics. Uh, so we have a couple minutes left. Uh, do you have anything else to say, maybe in general or specifically with relation to objectivism? I would say, as a conclusion, that probably if you want to think about game theory, um, it's okay. Try to search it, search it, or frame it as a normative theory, as a theory that tells you how to behave or how to clarify the incentives of people, but be careful with the positive part of, of the theory. If, if it's trying to describe how people behave, be very careful about it. Okay, I think this has been a great episode. Thank you so much, Alejandro. Uh, coming okay. up in uh, five minutes, we have the reality show on are companies always responsible for the actions of their employees? So there's been a... a the story about this father uh, who had an autistic daughter, they like missed their flights. Uh, customer service was really unhelpful and they ended up losing like two and a half thousand of pounds uh, just with like hotel fees, uh, buying new kick, uh, tickets and all that. And we're going to discuss if uh, uh, companies should be held liable, especially if it's maybe work of like one employee who really screwed up. 
Uh, and then at uh, 10 p.m. UK time, we have TV Talk. That's uh, Mark Pellegrino, Jennifer Buani, and Jacqueline Schumann. They're going to talk about the first season of Peaky Blinders. So have you seen the show? I haven't. I haven't. Uh, you I... have to check it out. Bit and, violent uh, you, to me. You have, uh, <laughs> you have four hours, so you have first season in four hours, then you can watch TV Talk. Well, maybe 2x. Okay. Thank you, Alejandro, so much. Sure. And we'll see everyone in the reality show. Bye-bye. Thanks, Daniel.